Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by Technode, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. I'm Elliot Zagman, and with me is a man who is surprised and amused that this millennium is already eligible to drink alcohol in the United States. 2021. It's James Hall. 21 years old into the millennium. Yeah. So did, does that mean, did you have a blowout on New yeah. Year's? <laughs> it, it certainly started off crazy. Like, it's really, uh, you know, really uh, sowing them wild oats. Anyway, I guess we're going to, this episode, we're going to commit the tragedy of um, bringing up the worst year in recent memory again and running through it and talking about it. So apologies to everybody for that. <laughs> So yes, nothing said on this podcast is investment advice. And even if it sounds like advice, it isn't. Don't take it as advice. Investing is risky. While we try not to, we and our guests may get our numbers wrong. This Also, this podcast is recorded in the past and views expressed here may no longer be relevant. Like if we say we don't like something, we might end up liking it a few episodes, you know, a few days later, and we're not going to update our views, you know, real time here. So uh, do your own research. And yeah. Also, techno.com slash newsletters for your daily dose of China tech. Make sure as well to follow this podcast, to subscribe to it, to give us a whatever the, the best review you can give on your preferred podcast platform and maybe even a nice review as well we uh we love that so much uh we are incredibly narcissistic and um we do not have very strong sense of self-worth so when you give us those positive comments we uh (laughs) we really we really appreciate them anyways we're we're gonna look back at 2020 today and we're going to look ahead at 2021. So, yeah, let's just uh let's let's get right to it. So Wait, wait. Can we yeah, can we do can we do real quick? I'm just going to read off our top 5 episodes from 2020 based on downloads. So if anyone's just starting to listen and you want to hear what people liked listening to a lot, it was episode 61 Ant Group, episode 60 Breaking Down Quarterly Earnings with uh episode 56 also, earnings episode sixty four, uh, Byte Dance, Attention Factory with Matt Brennan, and then episode fifty seven with Tom Orlick and his book about the bubble that never seems to pop. And people really like it when we have either Australians or British people on the show. They got the you know, the seems to be nice accents. Uh, anyways, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so it's either it's either Michael Matthew or uh, or, or Tom Morley. Anyways, so uh, let's talk about uh, what we got right and what we got wrong. So at the end of last year, we made a few predictions, and we kind of yeah, we we not investment advice, of course, but we thought about where we thought things might be going in the future. Let's talk about what we got wrong and what we got right. Let's start off. Uh, let's start off with the wrong, and and so as not to put it on you, James, I'll tell you something that I that I got wrong. I uh, and I think we actually both got this wrong. I did not anticipate what would happen with electric vehicles, and I think that the the star there was was Neo, a company that was kind of on its. What's what seemed to be on its last legs that had very hard time raising capital, and all of a sudden, this year has gone through the roof. I think largely on on Tesla's coattails, uh, but also with a little bit of help from um, from the Chinese government and also just from um, from I think the the, the Federal Reserve. Oh yeah, as well. yeah. So my what did what did I get wrong? Let's see. So when I went back and looked, the first prediction I had was uh, luck and coffee. And I said I was tempted to short it. So my gut was right. But, uh, and I even highlighted a red flag on insiders selling, but I happened to reason myself out of it. I think Luckin had me duped by manipulating the exact metrics that I was talking about when we had episodes about them in 2019. And those metrics turned hard in Q3 in, in a positive way. You know, assuming those numbers were real, I thought Luckin kind of somehow made sense on a price to sales basis looking out a year or two but um 
or it didn't look too, too crazy given their growth numbers. Uh, but it turns out those were, those were fake. So, yep. Uh, should listen to my gut a little more. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those things where, I mean, but our gut also told us about Neo. So I, I don't know what about our gut, but yeah, I think this is something that I think both of us struggle with uh, on the podcast here is that we're skeptical of a lot of these companies. Like our skepticism sometimes bears out sometimes doesn't i think we were both skeptical of luck and coffee but neither of us were like let's go short this i did i did short it at some points but not not all the way through no it was um i mean the same thing i mean we've had i think we've had a lot of skepticism about you know companies for example like pinduadua we've talked about ite neither of us have been big fans about about baidu but a lot of these companies have done, you know, spectacularly well. This is why this is an yeah. adve- investment advice, uh, because a lot of the things that we see as being kind of pre- pretty solid kind of measures of of what makes a good business, and you know, these these shady points and what makes a uh, what we would maybe not want to invest in. It's a lot of that stuff is really really hard to tell, and I think that that was. Um, was the situation with with some of these companies, especially with with Luckin? You know, you you think you might want to pull the trigger, but for every Luckin, there's a Neo or there's a Pinduoduo where you know you had your feeling, you had your intuition, you saw that maybe some things didn't add up, but you know went in the complete other direction. And to me, I think that the key factor here was, and we've talked about it before, was that Luckin had the most real world business. Yeah. Of all of them, where it required it, it was based on its cash flow, its real world cash flow, and when COVID hit, then that cash flow stopped. And when you have a cash flow, you can cover up some of the 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 risks that you're that you're running, uh, but you can't really do that when you have a, a once in a century pandemic that completely turns off your 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 cash spigot. So uh, that was that was the case with Luckin. What were you right about, James? So the other two predictions I made were like kind of a contrarian 5G prediction that, you know, people who buy 5G phones were going to be a little upset about coverage. I haven't heard anyone say that 5G is amazing in China and it works great. So I'm going to kind of say that's somewhat of a... A correct. And then the third one I had was 2020 is the year of local, like local domestic Chinese brands. And I think that's kind of right. You know, one of the stocks I own is uh, Feihe, and they're a infant milk formula brand, a local brand. Um, and yeah, I think there's just a lot more. You see Pop Mart, just also local, just IPO'd in Hong Kong, and it's going gangbusters. So I think, you know, I think this is still right. I think it's a long-term trend. I don't think it's just over in 2020. I think this is this is going to be a long-term thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we saw what happened with, you know, we had the the NBA or <laughs> for for so much of 2019 especially and 2020 as well. We've seen you know, there these companies that have have for a long time succeeded, uh, foreign companies that for a long time succeeded within China, you know, really struggling in, in many cases, because they're they're foreign, um, or because you know they're, the geopolitical tensions kind of get in the way, um, I think that that's that's absolutely a a, a strong play going forward altogether. Uh, for me, yeah, but your Elliot, your your correct one is awesome. So yeah, what is it? I am so happy Nailed about it. this. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to start off with the way that I would. I, I was right with two predictions at the end of last year. One was I thought Xiaomi would have a better year than Facebook. Xiaomi stock would have a better, better year than Facebook. Facebook was up 20%. They did fine. Xiaomi was up over 200%. Last time I checked, over over 2020. But my my real winner, and this is the one that I'm so proud of, and I've been riding it so hard, and I've been talking about it so much on this podcast for so long, and that's Billy Billy. So I have been, I've been in on Billy Billy for a long time. And this was one of those that, uh, you know, I, I feel the most proud of as kind of a, a still quite, uh, green, quite early, uh, retail investor. This was one of my first kind of big winners, I think. You know, Billy Billy started off, if I look 
uh, a year ago from recording so early january they were somewhere somewhere in the 20s usually somewhere around $20 a share and they're now selling uh as of january 13 at $115 a share so um i'm very very happy about that so those two predictions that i made um did quite well uh they you know they they did they did good for I mean, me just in, hold on just in the last just in the last 2 months it's gone from 45 like november 10th to 114 i mean this is like it's this nuts. thing's been on a rocket ship yeah i mean but part of this is what is going local i think all it's part of, i think it's part of that big local trend is that we we have we've talked yeah. about billy billy before and this is what this is why I still like. I'm not. I'm worried because it's, it's shooting up like a rocket ship. You know, it's like should I sell? Is, but I'm not. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll ride this out. Uh, the at least for a while. <laughs> but the so I think I think what happened in November is their earnings came out and they had just incredible user growth in 2020 that just blew away what they what they thought they would do, and that's that's just you know, driven a massive uh, rise in their in their share price here. Also, they're they're getting into a bunch of stuff. But I guess the question for me, and maybe you know, end of year portfolio review for you, Elliot, is where does it go after this? You know, is twenty? Are we going to see user growth numbers continue if the virus starts to kind of subside? That's that's the big. You know, I mean, it's the same know. thing with with Tesla or Neo. Like it's it's what do you do when it starts getting out of hand? Like it's great that it's that it's doing this well, but yeah, like how what I, I this is something I, I honestly don't know what to do. But the so when it's at twenty dollars a share and it's relatively unknown, it's something that I can be quite bullish about. But I don't know what to do now. That's a good problem to have. But the, the I think the the fun of the the fundamentals of it. What I loved about it was when we when we did that episode, and you kind of went in. You actually took their test and kind of got into the platform because they had a test that you had to take in order to to get into the platform. They had such. They've always had such a strong community of users who generate content. They've had great user generated content, and they have been increasingly. You know, much to the dismay, I think, of, you know, Tencent Video or, um, or IGE or any of these other folks, you know, they have had, they have so much of this kind of organic energy on their platform where if, if these folks, if teenagers or, or folks that are in their twenties or, or thirties, you know, it is, it is along with kind of Douyin or, 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 you know, these bike dance platforms, you know, Billy Billy really is where they're, uh, getting their content, it's where they're playing their games, and and what and Billy Billy's diversification, whether it be to you know to games, to education. to anime, to um, you know yeah. being able to yeah to do education, to it's they've they've done a great job. I mean, the question is, you know, at some point with all these companies, you know, we see with Facebook as well, you know, they they start off kind of cool and with a kind of a hip small group, and then they expand and they become maybe they lose some of those core users but they but they become a better business now with facebook you know when that when that phenomenon started happening you know it's still a good time to buy in but you know the, who knows with with, with billy billy I, I i really i don't really know what to do <laughs> but, but like i said it's a good problem to have but it's hard it's hard to see a company with these kind of you know multiples and this kind of stock price continue this run that they've had but no, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, any other thoughts you have on on Billy Billy or or, or Xiaomi as well? Anything on? I that? mean, just just I don't know. I mean, I've been I've been investing for a while, and you know, when things go up, it is really easy to feel like really smart. So everyone everyone basically feels really smart after twenty twenty. If you had any tech in your portfolio, <laughs> you're like you think you're really. Everyone thinks they're really smart, including. You know, I mean, I I picked I have some stocks that that did really well. I managed to buy a bunch of stuff in March. Um, I wish I bought more, but that you know that's the way it is. And you know, it it's it's great. Now the question is, you know, people when you look at back at the I, the internet bubble, the you know 1999, it was crazy. There were these like big hard 10% corrections, and everyone bought the dip and they would just rock it right back up 
And what happened is 20, uh, the year 2000 came and there was that 10% correction and it just fizzled and there was no, you know, kind of fizzled mm. along. And then it took about three months for people to realize that, oh, wait, was that, was that the top? Was that, and then people were like starting to call that the top that had already been happened three months ago. And so then people started, you know, selling some more mm. and it just kind of now things are very different. Now we have interest rates are really low. We have a, a fed that's very much uh, accommodative um, and even talks about kind of overshooting inflation and, and trying to have like an average inflation target. Um, so, you know, the underwriting, like the Greenspan put, as it was called back in, you know, before 2008, we have kind of the same thing now going on. And then we have stimulus, we have COVID, which is a reason for stimulus. Um, you know, if the vaccine rollout takes a little longer, that's even more reason for more stimulus. So it's like, there's a lot of uh, reasons why this, this might not stop uh, right away. But the question is, you know, some of these valuations, in order for it to keep going up, there kind of has to be some sort of either reasons for it or capital coming in to keep chasing and buying. And what happens at the top of bubbles is the buyers, they just run out and there's no more. And so there's, it just kind of mm. lofts up there and then it just starts to come down because there's no, there's no more buyers and they, it keeps coming down until mm. there are buyers. And, you know, if, if it depends on where, how far it has to go down to find those buyers. And you saw like in March, I mean, we had a, a massive correction. I mean, the markets got messed up for a bunch of reasons, though. Partly something happened in the treasury market and the repo market that kind of made some, I mean, I, I've, I have some um, ETFs of, of treasuries on my watch list. I own, I own a couple of them. That I like the Vanguard ones, but these things had prices that shot up like crazy high. And then another, another mm. one was shot really low. And if you had bought or sold at any of those prices, I mean, they were up there for like five minutes uh, one day. And if you had kind of bought or sold it, then it, I mean, you would have made a, a bunch of money on something that you shouldn't be making that much money on that quickly. I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> um, so there was something funky happening mm. and, you know, the whole, the whole market started freaking out. And also we had COVID, right? Uh, and that was, maybe we can get to our surprises now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that COVID, we have next on the list, the biggest surprise of 2020. I think kind of COVID takes the cake there. <laughs> but in addition to COVID, yeah. uh, or any, any, uh, were there any responses to COVID that were particularly surprising to you? So when COVID started kind of coming, I mean, I like my story is I came to the U.S. in February and everyone thought, oh, COVID, that's like an Asia thing. You know, it's not going to it's not going to, you know, uh, come over here. And man, was that wrong. And, you know, people didn't want to wear masks and, you know, they didn't want to kind of stay inside and, and you know, quarantine, be careful. Um so it just it was just a, a mess. So, I mean, you could kind of see the slow ball kind of coming in across the plate a little bit, um, and it just got worse and worse. As long as you followed what was going on in China, you could kind of see something was going to happen. But the aftermath and like just how badly the kind of airlines and all these companies got hit. I mean, really bad, and they're still they're still down a lot um it's kind of shocking i don't know i mean also just how amazing like companies like zoom were and you know these beneficiaries of work from home and that was kind of the, the big the big winner it's like anything tech anything kind of remote entertainment you know games uh video all this stuff but i think yeah i, I don't th what was the surprise there i feel like my surprise for 2020 came later in the year, you know, kind of around Ant Group. You know, I thought I thought they would be able to IPO. And I thought, and I said this on, on Twitter a few times, like I thought regulators, and it was pretty clear regulators leading up to the IPO were like getting, you know, saying things, news was coming out that, you know, 
looked like they wanted to kind of tighten up on, on Ant. And I thought they would wait until after the IPO and it would be like an incredible buying opportunity at that point. But it was actually got so bad, they, they pulled the IPO. So, and now it looks like... I, I'm astonished. Yeah. I, I was astonished. I mean, this is like the biggest IPO, you know, it's going to bring massive amounts of money into the China stock exchanges. And, you know, if, if the company, I mean, people would be able to own a part of a really amazing company that had massive growth prospects. Now the question is, and maybe this gets to predictions for 2020, but one of one of mine is that Ant is... 2021, yeah, oops. Um, <laughs> that Ant is kind of, I mean, they're kind of screwed. I mean, data sharing is going to happen. I mean, it's really going to happen in 2021. They've been trying to get this data sharing thing for years and Ant has resisted Tencent. I don't know if they've resisted as hard, but they probably resisted to some degree, but Ant's been the big, you know, the big pot of data gold that everybody wants to get their hands on, including, I mean, the PBOC and all the banks. And if it happens, it's bad for Ant because, that data is way more valuable when it's theirs and no one else's, but when it's everyone else is able to access it, you know, to some degree, then the value of the, what they can do with it is obviously going to go down. It becomes not an informational data advantage. It becomes like, okay, who's got the analysis advantage, which to be honest is probably better for consumers Mm. Uh, it's probably better for businesses, right? For the entire economy in terms of economic value add. So, I mean, what the regulators are doing makes sense. Now, is that the drive to do it? I don't know. I think the drive is basically banks don't want it. Banks don't want to have like a, you know, competitor. I mean, same thing happened with Walmart. Walmart wanted to get into banking in the early 2000s. And banks resisted it. The industry kind of groups resisted it. And then Walmart bailed out and, and decided not to do it. So it's the same thing, same kind of very similar. Yeah. I think I, I find this ant group, Jack Ma, Alibaba, antitrust investigation, this whole series of connected stories I find to be you know, uh, incredibly consequential likely and um just i think also just very interesting so i i've been writing a a piece on this over the past few days just about kind of ant about jack ma and kind of you know the the kind of reporting and and pseudo reporting that have been happening around him and kind of what what is reasonable to deduce versus not so reasonable but one little piece that i found just statistically is that that the the kind of quote unquote Jack Ma empire. So I mean, he has has stepped back from a lot of his roles at Alibaba Group. I mean, but it's the the Jack Ma empire. I guess is what you could say is if the Ant Group IPO had gone through, essentially the market cap of Alibaba at that point probably would have been somewhere around seven hundred billion dollars, and the the market cap of Ant Financial probably would have been somewhere between three hundred and four hundred. That means that. That the whole Jack Ma empire would have been bigger than the GDP of all but 17, 18 nations. That's how big Jack Ma's and Ali, kind of the Alibaba ant kind of financial um, and, and economic dynasty empire uh, would have been. Um, so it, it definitely makes a lot of sense that um, that's an antitrust or that's a risk when it comes to antitrust the other side of that is that that's a whole lot of power and influence that is under that alibaba ant umbrella and that's what makes me worried because once we start venturing into such heavyweights i guess when it comes to these investigations and these sort of um, you know conflicts and, and that that is something that that concerns me and worries me about uh, as a Alibaba shareholder and, and looking at where we're going to go going forward. Yeah. Uh, maybe can I just make a comment about making comparisons about GDP and market cap? There's, this is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> so okay. GDP is, is like an income statement item and market cap is more like a balance sheet kind of, well, sort of like a balance sheet, but more like you take that income statement and discount it to today 
And that's kind of your valuation of the future. It's more like a wealth metric than an income and, and GDP is kind of an income thing. So right. it's like a start date and an end date. So for GDP, it's usually a year. And it's Jack, you know, Jack Ma is not as rich as Indonesia. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. But it's it's a it's a it's a way to compare. Uh, the, it's a a um, a rhetorical point. I yeah, guess. it gives you. It's a you, you have a, an idea of what GDP, how big it is, but it it's it's. I mean, Ant's not going to do the GDP in revenue, right? As a, a, you can compare their revenue to the GDP of a country, and that would be that would be very comparable apples to apples kind of thing. But yeah, it's insane. I mean, I mean, there's a ton of rumors about what's going to happen to Alibaba that, that, you know, not just Ant, but Alibaba might get um, chopped up a little bit. Ant for sure. They're is, both under investigation. Yeah. Ant, so Ant for sure is, is getting major changes. They're getting, but you know. they've announced, they've announced investigations into Alibaba. They have not yet into Jack Ma himself, but but and so if they're announcing investigations in China, what we can assume is that charges will be coming. That's kind of the the way that things go there. Yeah. Well, usually, yeah, usually the investigations undergoing, and then once the investigation has basically gotten everything, they think they you know if they can charge right. If there's a if they think that there's a guilty charge that can be pursued in court, then you go to court for basically the sentencing, and it's kind of done. That's sort of how it works in China. So they're they're obviously they're investigating. Yeah, maybe they're investigating Jack Ma. I don't know. He's he's not he's laying low, and that could be kind of to show that he's not he's not being uh, he's not stepping out of line. I, I don't really know. But um, yeah, the rumor the rumors are Alibaba gets kind of broken up, which would be very interesting because it would probably get broken up along its business lines. So core commerce would be the strongest of those. And then, you know, what, what, ha I mean, we could imagine all day, but like what happens with logistics, you know, entertainment and media will probably definitely go fresh and local services will probably get separated. So like what happens to all these things and do they do better alone or do they do better together is kind of the question. And well, we could, we could, you know, we can, we can talk about that with when it comes to our predictions. Okay, for yeah. Twenty. I thought we were already. We're, we need to get to our predictions then. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's 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 first talk about anything else that when it comes to watch list winners and losers. Um, and we we talked about a number of these already. Obviously, you know, luck and coffee was a dud. An interesting, but luck and hold I guess, on, luck um, and coffee's like, you know, on their pink sheet over the counter. It's starting. It's gone up quite a bit lately. I don't know. Where are they at right now, Let's per share? They are $9.69. So that's from, you know, I guess uh, at the bottom, it got down to two bucks, a little under two bucks. Oh, no, it went even lower. Went to 95 cents or so. So, you know, if you start from that in the end of June up to now, I mean, that's like a 10, almost 10x return. And that's about <laughs> insane, you know, it's come, yeah. you know, but so they had, they, they had a big jump when they announced that the, um, they settled with the sec $180 million. And that was in December, you know, like it's possible it comes back. I don't know. I mean, anyway, it's not anywhere near where it was at 50, yeah. but you know, Another one here is Baidu. It's a company that I am not particularly a fan of, that I don't have much reason to really trust when it comes to their management. But they have had a great past couple of months, especially. I mean, they're, they're, their multiples, you know, they were a very cheap stock for a very long time because, you know, understandably so, uh, their, their future did not look bright. Especially compared to their competitors, you know, we have ByteDance kind of eating their lunch in a lot of ways. But uh, since December or beginning of December, their their stock price has kind of been shooting through the roof. I think roughly doubling uh, compared to some points. So they're low. Yeah, they're up on the whole year. They're up eighty four percent or eighty eight percent. Yeah, they're you know, to today. Let's see if we bring that back a little bit. It's lower, but you know, up a lot. Yeah, and it looks like I don't know the drive. 
the driver, yeah, one of the drivers is definitely the, the EV. They seem to be jumping heavy on the EV train, get signing this deal with uh, Geely and kind of having, I think, majority ownership of it and over oversight of the whole thing. So that's that's a huge positive. Yeah, I mean, there's I don't I still don't have a lot of faith in them, but that that deal that they did with Geely, I mean, does seem to be you know, moving the moving the sticks. But the other side of things is that if Alibaba is under scrutiny and they're getting broken up, uh, then the other internet giants in China are uh, they can benefit. And, and and Baidu's one of the companies that can can run into that space. Uh, so probably more Meituan than than Baidu, though. I think there's more. Yes, but investor are our investors entirely looking at it that way? That's that's what I. Yeah. You know, you and I might know that, but is is that what Wall Street's thinking? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're probably thinking. I mean, obviously, JD, Pinduoduo are just the blatant, obvious ones. But you know, if it, it how would if if Alibaba's local services gets kind of separated, what could they do? You know, vis-a-vis com- competition with. Meituan, you know, could they turn up the heat? Yeah. Could it be, could they actually do better? You know, I don't know. It's very possible, you know, with some, like what happens with when you have breakups of these big monopolies is you have these assets typically that are in the companies that are just not being utilized. Like for example, WhatsApp, you know, WhatsApp on their app, you on their desktop app, you still can't do like video chat or phone calls. And WeChat's had that function for years. So, you know, what WhatsApp inside Facebook is probably, you know, being not innovated on and improved as much as it could as a, as a solo company. And if they're separated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Zuckerberg and all Facebook shareholders will probably still own a nice chunk of, of WhatsApp, but it would actually grow to be value, more valuable. Now that would actually compete with Facebook, so that hence this you know antitrust thing there. But but anyway, there might be the same same thing going on in in Alibaba. Yeah, well, well, we'll have to see. I mean, I think the the big loser here is almost undoubtedly Jack Ma's power base. I mean, the I mean, we can get back because we can talk about it more later. You know what's you know what's surprising to me? What's surprising to me with Jack Ma is that you know he's like a pretty well liked guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I it would be hard to find anyone say anything negative about him, except his like nine nine six comments, which were pretty pretty bad, I guess, pretty pretty horrible. But you know, mostly very well liked guy. And since this, I haven't seen has has there been anybody who's kind of come out like in defense of him? Uh, no, it's been like the, I think there's been a big shift in a rhetoric online. I mean, in the way that we've had the tech lash. In the in the in the West, right, where you know five years ago people loved Facebook, and you know, and they thought that Facebook and Google and Amazon were the salvation of the American economy. And now, what do they think of them? I think that a similar thing is happening in China. But I think the the other side of it is that, like, well, after twenty sixteen, they they didn't think very highly. Right, right. <laughs> that was a big shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the. The the other side of it, I think that a lot of folks in in China still like Jack Ma, but he represents a you know to get rich is glorious. It was the the slogan you know, of of the period when when you and I first came to China. This uh, a a far more kind of free market capitalistic approach, high growth, high risk, um, and now it's a lot a lot more populist. It's a lot more and they they've been emphasizing more a more socialist approach and and also just the idea of entrepreneurs or celebrities being very outspoken and having uh, you know, high-profile personalities, that doesn't seem to be something that is, uh, is very welcome in China at this point. And you know, Jack Ma seems to be stepping in it. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to see where, where that goes. I don't want to predict too, too much when it comes to that. Um, one, because of kind of the severity of it, and, and two, because um, I mean, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So, <laughs> anyways, let's let it. Let's talk about other predictions we can make, though. Do you have any any that you would uh, like to make for 2021 about a, a company or a trend in China tech? The only kind of one I, I feel pretty confident about is this data sharing, you know, in fintech 
kind of happens. I think there's going to be I, like, I'm not, I, I don't really do predictions. I do kind of scenarios and, and think about that like that. And so the scenario is the big questions I have are, you know, if ants sharing their data, what's going to happen to the smaller fintech players, you know, like the Chu Dian, Le Xin, these guys, mm-hmm. and there are others, but what's going to happen to them. And they've all kind of gone from being peer to peer and they've done this massive overhaul pivot where they're now like tech services to financial firms. And so does this help them or hurt them? I feel like FinTech is getting a getting kneecapped with this ant regulations, like ant having to become a bank or like to restructure under a bank holding company kind of thing is something ant can easily do. It's not something you know, Chu Dian and Le Xin can easily do. I think those guys are kind of screwed. I think the um, their mm-hmm. best scenario, and maybe even for their shareholders, the best scenario is that they get acquired by a bank who can use their you know tech that they've created if it's if it's useful. Now, if it's useful, it's got to be based on analysis because data might become more open, which is which is a really interesting thing. And it could create a lot of innovation across kind of the financial services realm in China. This could be super interesting stuff. Now, if Ant's data becomes open, Tencent's data will also become shared. But I feel like Tencent has a little more to gain from sharing their data and getting open data back than Ant has to gain. Ant's, I think, going to be mainly a loser Tencent's probably going to be, it's not great for Tencent because they still have to open their books, but I think they're going to get at least what they give back in terms of, you know, data value. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm just kind of, you know, been thinking about this a little bit and it's, um, it could lead to some really interesting stuff in, in fin- financial services innovation, you know, if there's. Ho- hopefully that. I mean that that's the best case scenario. The other the other scenario is that the access to that is that what Ant Financial is or Ant Group is essentially integrated into you know the big four, big five state banks, and that you know these what are famously these kind of black holes of innovation you know will have <laughs> will have what Ant Group is. I think that's the. That's the worst case scenario. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with it. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Meaning, so you you have the data. So what happens to the data, right? So we we already have, you know, essentially financial banking monopolies within China, you know, or we have the state banks, right? So oh yeah, for sure, it's very much right, a monopoly, so, and it's very much a power center for the the government, and yeah, it's but it's but that's a part of like how stability is supported. You know, like we can talk talked to Tom Orlick about it, you know, back in that episode, this is like, but, but they're also very slow moving. Like, like Jack Ma said in that famous now speech in October and, you know, are they, will, will the opening of the data lead to some, you know, them starting their own little tech tech centers to try to, innovate there because i mean to, for me and i and i've worked in financial services in china in in the kind of the non-bank side what i noticed as the main kind of problem with lending to small and medium-sized businesses is not you know it's not anything about you know can they do the work they can do the work they do credit analysis they do it but the problem is the way the incentives are set up at these banks for the individuals, it's far too risky for them to make a loan to a small, medium-sized business because if they if they if it fails, you know their chances of promotion. I mean, just a couple of these things fail, and they're they're kind of you know they're kind of set themselves back a few years. It's a, it's not good. You spend the rest of their time working on working those things out, making sure you know that doesn't completely blow up. So. Um, Mm. yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a like, oh, they can't do it. The, the problem is they, they can definitely lend to small businesses. It's the incentives that are kind of 
misaligned that need to be fixed. Right. Now, does the data help? Yeah, I think having something that you can show besides like a credit analysis that your team did, which is, you know, I mean, it's a credit analysis. You can, you know, you can have 10 different analysts analyze one company. You're going to have a bunch of like probably more than 10 different views, but you can, if you have hard data, like, look, this is how much revenue the company makes. Here's what they're getting paid through. And here's what they're getting paid through uh, WeChat. Here's what they're getting paid through regular banking you know, system. So we know what you have a bigger picture of everything. It's trustable because it's from a third party. It's not what the company is telling you directly. So, you know, there's always issues there. I mean, this, this could be helpful to the banks too. So I can, I can see the bigger picture of the, the antitrust, you know, it makes sense. It's obviously, I can understand from Ant's perspective, not wanting to share this data is really a big deal because it's their, this is their bread and butter, right? This is, this is their, their core strength is an informational advantage. And it's kind of like regulation F, FD in the U S with, with markets, you know, capital markets and stocks. And, you know, it made it so companies couldn't disclose information to individual shareholders. They had to disclose it all at once to the market and that sort of removed some inform or the majority of an informational advantage and kind of tipped the scales a little bit in capital markets. Something something like this is gonna happen in 2021. Like this it'll start, but it'll it'll take a while probably, but something like this is gonna happen, I think. What we know is across the board, the state-owned enterprises are not very efficient. The private enterprises are more efficient. What has happened and what has been a boon to China is the rise of its kind of its corporate giants and tech giants like that are more or less private, like Alibaba or, or Tencent. You know, and now we're at a point where, like we have in the United States, for example, we have a monopoly issue where the though the efficiency that is provided to the economy by the the, the company uh, kind of has these diminishing marginal returns. Now, the way that I think would, is likely to happen here, and so the, the, the best possible scenario is that you have some sort of mechanism where, you know, you have startups that can get access to the data that you, you are able to establish a, a you know, more innovative and open way of, of kind of, of opening up kind of uh, the Jack Ma empire, I guess, and the, the ant, ant group. But I think it seems to me from a, more pessimistic point of view is that you have these behemoths that are the state banks and they're like, I want to get, you know, they're competing with each other and they want to get the biggest piece of the pie. And it doesn't matter if they're going to be able to, you know, apply it in the most efficient way. I think that they're probably going to be, you know, feuding with each other for it. But you know, that's my, my own kind of cynical you know, look at it. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I don't know what drives. I mean, the head leadership at state banks is very much a political position. I don't, I don't think they're competing with each other that that intensely. I think they actually they work together quite a bit from what what I saw as they work. They do. There's a, it's a very friendly sort of competition. It's not uh, it's not cutthroat in any way. But are they? But when it comes when you're divvying up something like this, like. They can also work with each other to make sure that, you know, that, that other, that it all stays within the state sector. You know, it's, it's something where I just, it, it's a, it's a bunch of vultures trying to fight over these graphs. So the way, the way I've heard the data is going to work is that if you put data into the system, you get access to the whole system. So if you're, if you're a data inputter, you get access, mm. but if you're not, you don't. And so that's kind of this, this closed ring so all the banks will have obviously have financial data. Now they've, you know, years ago, the problem with banks is they weren't really digitized. You know, like online banking was pretty, you know, we, we got to go back more than 10 years, but 10 years plus ago was pretty bad. It's gotten a lot better, you know, and maybe that's, you know, that's driven by everyone getting on their mobile phones and you needing mobile banking and, you know, um, but I think I think they're going to work together. I think there's going to be solutions out there. Maybe this is how 
Chudian and Lusheen and these guys kind of uh, find their, there's, you know, their rebirth or whatever is in helping these guys analyze, um, you know, all this data that's going to be open to them and make, make better loans or make loans, make more loans because like, you know, there's all, they've tried everything. I mean, they've tried quotas and there are loans that happen, but they're, you know, typically, I mean, the, the structures of them have to get, you know, you end up getting some sort of collateral or some sort of name behind you that, that helps you. And there's all these like tricks and ways to do it. If they have the data, they don't have to do that same kind of stuff. That's right. It makes it more. It'll be more straightforward, and it'll be better for exactly, yeah. You know the entrepreneurs and for all the stakeholders, and you know, like I mean, a problem that is not infrequent, you know. And there's some, and I won't name the company, but there's some very large players out there who've who've managed to game the um, the banking system, and you know, collateralize assets multiple times, the same asset multiple times and get loans on the same mm. asset from several different banks. And they don't, you know, they weren't co-op, the banks weren't cooperating or sharing information enough to even know that was happening. And like, you know, that's how you get really bad financial instability, right? So that you can't like, you just, you know, from a, from a PBOC perspective, you got to stop that. So I, I so I, the, the centralized, so essentially taking the centralized, you know, data, platform that is an ant group and making it public like a, a public utility essentially rather than uh you know a, a private entity the way that it is it has the potential to to solve a lot of those huge problems. benefit yeah that's the that's the prediction uh you know <laughs> yeah there we go all right i i think i'm pessimistic i i am not going to sell any of my shares personally of alibaba but i do think it'll probably be this whole investigation, everything with them is going to be a little messier than um, uh, than it could be, or that, 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 than it uh, than it would best be. And so, a prediction that I would have is like I I'm I'm looking at Meituan, JD, Pinduoduo, uh, but especially Meituan, JD, um, and and I think that they might be uh, be looking pretty good this year. Maybe Tencent as well, but they're also kind of I I'd worry about them considering the size that they are as well. Yeah, and I mean valuations are high right now. I mean this is. I think we said this. I said the exact same thing in our in our 2020 prediction episode, but they're they're high again. I mean, much higher. So you know, yeah, it's um, it's a tough thing because you know the do you take do you take some some profits when you know some of these companies they don't have. I mean, they can keep growing. The fundamentals can kind of come catch up and kind of help support. But the, you know, I feel like a lot of the valuation is sort of sentiment driven and getting a little, yeah. getting a little driven, you know, so does, if that pulls away. It's, gonna, it's yeah. determined, it's determined far more by central banks. Like these companies could do, like a company can do well, like, and they could, you know, get a valuation that they probably don't deserve. I mean, that this is what, this is what we've seen happen is that, that good companies are now unaffordable. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I guess like the, the way that I look at it is, you know, I mean, I, I actually, I don't actually, but altogether what I would think is, yeah, you just buy and, you know, buy a good business, don't sell and just hold for a long time and don't be in a position where for you have sure. to draw from your investment account. But oh yeah, do you, you want to like at this point, at this point, it's all so, it's all so expensive that it's like, I don't know where it's going to go from here. Right. But if you take, like, if you look out 10 years, you know, five, 10 years and you go, okay, I mean, you know, you, you, you got to look at, I, I think you got to look at the fundamentals a little bit and see, you know, are these guys going to grow? Is there, is there a change happening in their return kind of margins or how much they're going to be investing and kind of pay attention to that. And, you know, I mean, it, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but on Twitter, there's a lot of people when they talk about Alibaba, they bring up, you know, the the 10 cents, you know, gaming regulations change that drew drove their stock price down to like, I think it was 250 Hong Kong dollars. Now it's like almost 600. And they kind of go, look, it's happened before. You know, there's always a bounce back. But 
but that, that that's this is a different situation. This is this is this is more than just like cracking down a little bit. Well, out. I think if you look back over these investigations, there's other investigations that did not bounce back. I mean, there's mm. there's plenty. I mean, you just go back through. They're not they're not in technology, but they're in other industries, and they don't you know they don't always work out, and they don't always work out for shareholders. So you know, I think uh, anyway. I, I don't I'm not I'm not in Alibaba, you know, obviously it's done very well, so I kinda wish I was, but I am watching it and I do think I do think at the end of the day there is gonna be an entry point here and it's gonna be like I can't imagine that they managed to kneecap Alibaba to such a degree that it that it goes away or its value is diminished. I feel like, you know, some of the parts I feel like a lot of their businesses could actually do better separate and how you break it up is really difficult because they have this kind of unified ID. So like, it feels like, like they can't really do that would be my. And so much, so much of their value is their interconnected ecosystem as well. It's a, anyways, we could, we could talk about this for forever. And um, actually we should probably, we should do another episode on, on this exclusively, maybe two. Yeah. But anyways, but we'll, we'll we'll try very hard to make that happen. Uh, James, anything you want to say before we uh, we wrap things up? Yeah, I think other. I mean, did we get our, all our predictions in? Do you have any other predictions? <laughs> um, I think this. I, I don't want to open the can of worms, so I'm just not going to do it. But it's the um, this Shuchu Twango thing, and and uh, anyway, yeah. I'm, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. If you. Follow us on Twitter. So I'm at Elliot Zagman, E-L-L-I-O-T-T-Z-A-A-G-M-A-N. James is James Hall X, J-A-M-E-S-H-U-L-L-X. Also, like we said, make sure to give us a good review. Techno.com slash newsletters for your daily dose of China tech. Thanks again uh, to the team at Techno for helping us out with this one. And uh, we'll catch you all next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye-bye now.